Hey, welcome back to the Time Capsule Show, where we define life in the 21st century through our voices and our opinions, because we're probably saying the things that everyone else is thinking. My name is John Roos, and it's a beautiful day here in New York for today. We're filming, and hopefully it doesn't rain later on. But um, today, we have a special guest on our show. We have Kelly Wong. She's an educator, research scientist, and is a proud advocate for women in STEM. Welcome to the show, Kelly, and feel free to introduce yourself. <laughs> Okay, hey, um, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me as well. I'm so super excited. But yes, my name is Kelly. I am a first year master's student at Queens College. I just finished my first semester. Um, yes, I'm a science educator with the New York Hall of Science, as well as the Intrepid Air and Space Museum. Yeah, I'm here in Manhattan in New York City as well. I am also a New York City native. I live in New York City as well. And yes, I'm also a research scientist as well. I have been involved in research for about six years now, ever since I was an undergraduate at Pace University, which is where I got my undergraduate degree in biology, and I'm carrying it on for my master's. I am also a master's in biology as well. Awesome. Major respect to you. I have major respect for scientists. One of my cousins is actually a scientist. She's like getting her, her doctor in immunobiology. And I'm just like, when I, when I think of science, like it doesn't really register in my mind anymore, especially after high school. I took some chemistry classes in college, actually. But for you, when did your like passion for science start? When did you know that this is the route that I want to take? Um, so I actually got involved in um, biology and science kind of like by mistake, actually. Mistake. Uh, yeah, well, I, it's, well, I mean, now it's not a mistake, but at the time I thought it was. Um, so I would say maybe it was like my junior year of high school, I think. I was actually an engineering major, actually. So I was in the engineering department in my high school. I was not involved in um, science or research quite yet at so it was at the end of my senior year of high school where I realized that engineering was probably not for me. It was so much math. It was just so much, um, just like figuring, I just couldn't understand it, it. Like when it was talking about like forces and just how two different, like for an example, like two different beams were pushing up against each other. I could not figure out where the force was going. I couldn't tell whether it was going outwards or inwards or towards each other. I just couldn't figure it out. It was just not clicking. So that was when I decided I needed to switch majors or like do something else. So that's where I got involved in science because I knew it was something that I personally loved and I thought that I could make a career out of it. And um, so when I got accepted into colleges, I got accepted into this biology program in Pace University. And Pace University is more known for business, not so much biology, because um, their biology department is pretty small compared to most biology departments that I also applied for. But I think that was to my benefit as well, since it was so small, all the professors knew each other there and knew all of their students, which I think was a benefit for me because I was able to build better connections through that. So that was when I got involved in biology. So I started with just basic biology classes just to see if I would like it. And I truly loved it. And then that's how I got my start into research. My very, very first research 
ever outside of academics was at the um, was at Mount Sinai Hospital when I researched nice. um, Alzheimer's disease, which was really, really cool. And then that's just where my science research career just kind of like took off. Nice. Um, <laughs> so when it comes to your career, like where do you see yourself going with your research with, you know, this path that you're pursuing in science? Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. All right, so um, with the path that I'm going, um, I might continue to, I might go into a PhD, but I'm still not positive on that because I know PhD is a huge commitment, but we'll see on that. <laughs> but uh, in further, like, I just for like job and career wise, I may go into like, my plan currently is to like, be like a research coordinator or like a research assistant. And then hopefully that leads to um, being like senior research coordinator, or I could also adjunct, uh, I'm also, like I said, I'm an adjunct professor right. as well. I think I'll get into that a little bit later, um, but I can also go into the route of academia and, or I could also be a museum educator as well, because I also have a background in museum education. So I have like a lot of different skills and I have a lot of different backgrounds that could um, lead me the different routes because I did experiment a lot when it comes to STEM and um, education mm-hmm. because I knew those were both a passion that I had at, and I still have up to today. Okay, so with all of those different um, backgrounds, it could lead me to different in paths. So I'm just seeing right now uh, which one is the best for me. Hey, but I definitely hope to be able to continue research as well, like in the future, sure, but as well as be involved in academia as well, uh, whether it's formal or informal. Got it. So you, it seems like you have many routes that you can take this. And I love the passion. I can feel it, you know, how passionate you are with this um, road that you're going. So I know that we were talking about, you know, before this interview, you're talking about women in STEM. And I was looking into, you know, data and statistics about that. And it's pretty jarring to see the differences that we see, especially when we see how many men comparing men and women that are in STEM. So I wanted to ask you, like, what are your takes on that? Um, what struggles did you face, if any, when you're going towards this road? Mm-hmm. Of course. Yeah. So like my take definitely um, like in especially like Asian women in STEM, I know there's been like a, so much hate towards like like um, Asians. Um, I'm sure you people have seen like in the news, mm-hmm. which honestly is very jarring as well. So um, I definitely think that just like, like I said, being an Asian woman in STEM um, is definitely very, very important, especially in this time of this during this time when number one, STEM um, has been um, been taking off a, a lot because uh, like there's definitely a younger generation getting involved in coding and then computer science and as well as um just like different stem stem fields and then when it comes to like i said being an asian women in stem um, as definitely as as like a stem educator i've been involved like i said been involved in stem education for years years um it's definitely um I would say definitely a reward to be able to, to um, you know, be like an Asian woman and as well as the path that I am on, because I've never thought that I would be like on the path that I am on right now when it comes to being like both a researcher and as well as a science educator. Mm-hmm. So challenges that I have 
personally faced. Um, but it's definitely when I was, it was actually, this was just more recent, actually. So um, one challenge that I faced was I just finished a research project with a lab based out in Washington um, State. Um, the lab was is called uh, Pacific Northwest National Laboratory. It's under the U.S. Department of Energy. And I was doing this research project online. So it was a three hour, it's a three hour time difference. So if it was like 12 o'clock p.m. over here, it would be like nine o'clock in the morning over there in Washington um, state. So that was definitely a challenge because whenever I would need something um, from like my principal investigators, I would have to wait until later in the day to mm. ask them for help because they would not be up around the time that I would be up. Uh, so that just led to uh, just a ton, a ton of late nights. I'd, um just doing research, but I think that was the most rewarding part as well, because I was able to get the project out and I was, and I was researching um, snake venom proteins. Wow. So, yeah. So, wait, uh, tell, me, tell me about this. So what were you doing um, with the snake venom proteins? Um, so this was a database research, so it was not, um, like on the bench wet lab research, it was database. Okay. So, um, I was looking at all of these different, um, snake peptides, which peptides are the building blocks of, oh. um, protein. So peptides make up proteins. Right. I remember that from high school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure you're, at least I'm happy that you heard that. So, um, they gave me like billions and billions of uh, pep, uh, snake peptides. And then my challenge was to organize all of those peptides and then and filter out the human peptides and the snake peptides and then see how many snake peptides were detected. And um, all of this was um, a blood sample that was taken from a, um, a person in that was um that was um I think I, I'm I'm just gonna I have to re-say this part um so uh because it's a little bit complex so um so this so the um, I was basing my research off a already published article since I couldn't go out there and do this myself. So um the scientists who originally published this research um paper or gave um gave us gave me and my principal investigator access to all of these um snake egg um, peptides mm -hmm. through a database ace and then i downloaded all of it and all these peptides were from a blood sample that was taken from a victim that was bitten by a venomous snake and oh, wow passed away so the challenge was to see if it was actually snake snake venom that killed this um victim dumb and it was us so that's where my research was it was just to prove it was to prove that um it was snake venom that killed this victim wow that's so fascinating and it's like you're kind of like an investigator to see like you know that's the problem and you have to like see if like you said to see if the Snake venom is the one that killed the victim. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that was definitely one challenge. And then another challenge that I did end up facing as well, like on my path to um, where I am today, um, mm -hmm. I was also a 
a, I'm also an adjunct professor as well. Well, so on top, so that was like my formal education. That was like my formal education experience because like I said, I have formal and informal education, which I'll get into informal education in just a little bit. But my formal education is, uh, yes, I am an adjunct professor. I'm an adjunct professor at Queens College, which is where I do my master's. And I also teach biology. So I teach like the basic biology class. I teach the lab portion of it. And it was very eye-opening, to say the least, of being a professor and seeing the behind the scenes of what it's like to prep labs, grades, and then prepare lectures. That was definitely an eye-opening experience, but that was also a challenge because I've never done anything like that before. And then that combined with the research in Washington that I was doing based out of Washington State just added more challenges onto my plate. Right. But it was also a really good learning experience as well to help to manage my time I'm better and just to see what works and what didn't work. Right. So how so how would I how I would do it though is um which was another this is is this is included in the challenges portion that we are talking about so i would be teaching really early in the morning so it was like a nine to twelve o'clock mm -hmm. um class that i would be teaching so that way in the afternoon when my private i'm um, sorry not private um principal investigators were awake i could do my washington state research in the afternoon mm. And then while that was happening, I could I could also um, during the daytime would prep like like stuff for my following class as uh, because so, the class was um, my adjunct professor responsibilities was once a week that I would have to teach. But then, like I said, I would also have to grade, upload all the grades online. So all of that combined, it just gave me empathy for those um, professors who all have to do research as well as prep um, lectures and assignments and labs for their students. So it just gave mm -hmm. me empathy, which was a huge eye opener for those college professors. Cause I definitely know um, college students who like just talk down on their professors saying yeah. how, how um, yeah, yeah, like this professor like uploaded grades super late and then got back mm -hmm. to like got feedback on my assignments super late. And then right. I am just here thinking, you have no idea. Right. What but goes you're, on. right. You're in their shoes now. So you see exactly like, you know, how many things they're juggling. Like you, you're working on, you know, many things while you were doing this. So, you know, that's great that you're able to see um, from their point of view when it came to that. But when it comes to like people, to people who want to pursue this path or if you could talk to yourself you know from many years ago what advice would you have given yourself what advice would you give you know a little girl a little boy who wants to pursue what you're doing mm -hmm. okay yeah um I would probably tell them don't give up uh, but because there are plenty of times that I wanted to give up up on what on my path because I it was just so many things like like if I, if I told like my childhood, I was super, super shy. Mm -hmm. I, and I did not enjoy um, talking or like, if you asked me, 
hey, can you go up to the board and just talk about like your homework assignment? I would not do it because I was just so shy. I, um, but now that I, but now that I'm doing what I am doing, meaning that I could easily just go up into a audience and just talk about whatever I want. Really? I, yeah. So what do you I, feel then? I know you said that you were shy when you were growing up, but what's like the differences now? Like what gave you that confidence to be able to just speak to anyone? What gave me the confidence? Um, I would definitely say that was um, my when I started informal education at like the so I started informal education. So informal education versus formal education is um, like classroom um, education, like teaching a whole class and then grading everything that's that's formal. Informal education is more focused on um, museums, and then it's so it's still similar to like in a classroom, but you're not be you're not grading anyone. So, I that would definitely. Um, so I started my informal education experience at the Museum of Natural History, and I think that's what ultimately broke me out of my shyness shell that I was in. Um, I I was shy like. I from like at a very very young age until maybe I was like 15 years old oh and then I got my very first um internship at the Museum of Natural History and that's at the age of 16 so and I'm still pretty shy at the time but they helped me to um break out of my shyness shell and just kind of coached me into um talking and then not being shy shy about it because um when you're shy and you're not confident in what you're saying this was the advice they gave me if you're shy and you're not confident in what you're saying no one's gonna believe you you Mm -hmm. so we're gonna take they told me we're gonna take this day by day and we're gonna coach you on how to speak to people how to speak to visitors um because we were talking to visitors literally every single day since the Museum of Natural History is like a tourist location. They get millions of visitors like a week, week at least. Right. So um, they coached me into talking and how to feel comfortable about it. And they made sure I had all the resources that I needed. So they it was like a fact sheet. And then they're and they just told me okay, you don't have to memorize this word for word, but just get the general concept idea, start off with the general concept idea, and then work your way into more of the specific facts to help you gain more confidence. And it took about two weeks of um, speech, I guess, speech training or like coaching thing to like talking to the general public and I think that's what ultimately broke me out of my shyness shell and it helped me go from so it was I started like that started off with music natural history then eventually into the New York Hall of Science which is where I continue my informal education in um, experience up to today I'm still there working as a science educator and then which eventually led me to being an adjunct professor mm-hmm. um, just in terms of like my education route. And as right. well, as I'm an educator with um, the Intrepid Air and Space Museum as well. Wow. Um, You've got a lot of experience on your resume. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then so, yeah, that's just where um, but I will thank Museum of Natural History for helping me break out of my shyness shell which ultimately i think breaking out of my shyness shyness shell which eventually leads back to like our previous the previous question you asked me like what kind of advice i would did give like my younger self or like um a young child when it comes to um doing science or research just 
go for it. Right? If you worst that could happen is a no. Oh, and then I have gotten a few no's um, in the past as when it comes to both science, research, and education, but that's okay. A, A, it just shows that, okay, this position is not right for you, you, but there will be other opportunities for someone else to say yes, just don't give up. Uh, so yeah, oh, that's okay. how I, that's how um, it started mm-hmm. out with education, which ultimately led to um, research just like in the middle of my education journey because I'm still a bio major. I'm still, I was still a bio major and still am a bio major. So I still needed that research experience um, in undergraduate for like my thesis and as well as some research classes. And that's how I dipped my, I dipped my foot into the whole research realm, which ultimately led to me researching for the U.S. Department of Energy. Um, yeah, so and that's and that's the that was basically my experience with Washington State. That Pacific Northwest National Lab is under the U.S. Department of Energy, and I also have done research for Brookhaven National Laboratory. Um, I did that last summer during the pandemic, mm-hmm. um, because you you know everything was on lockdown right. during that time because it was before um, vaccinations could happen everything had to be online so I was lucky enough enough to be able to do database research I know so many people who don't get that exposure or that experience when it comes to database research because you do need to know python coding language wow and um which I'm happy that that all those resources are becoming more available now compared to pre-pandemic, which I did not see Python or or um, Java or anything like that really taking off in the science research field. But now I think, think that since during the, since we were shut down for a little bit in, for, in terms of like wet lab research, there was not a lot of wet lab research Got going it. on when, when you go into like an actual lab with like a bench. So that's, I think that's where database research, um, Python and all that really took off. Right. So you have so much experience and, you know, I'm so proud of you, especially with the, you know, the U.S. Department of Energy and all like these projects that you're working on. First of all, congratulations on all of that. And, you know, when you were talking about never giving up and the worst you can get is a no, that reminded me of a quote that I saw recently. And it was, it's reject, it's not rejection, it's redirection, right? And, you know, there may be a no, but maybe that's a sign for you that, you know, maybe it wasn't the best option for you and maybe it's leading you towards a better path for yourself. So that's what kind of just clicked in my head when you said that. But now I know our episode is coming to an end soon, but I have to ask you the question that we ask every guest that we have on our show. And it's a question that's really synonymous with our title, Time Capsule Show. So if you were to put something in a time capsule for people to dig up 100 years later, what would you put in there and why? Um, I would probably put, I would say a, like a beaker, like a chemistry beaker Mm. with like the measurements of like millimeters, um, yeah, milliliters, um, in it, because I do know that science research, um, is going to continue evolving over the years, years, and it's just never going to stop evolving, so I would love to 
So the reason why I would put a sign, I would put a sign speaker in a time capsule is to show um, the future or what kind of equipment science researchers used um, in the past. As because I definitely know in the future equipment's good, like I said, equipment's gonna be evolving. Um, how people do research is going to be evolving and it's just not science research is just, is just never going to stop mm-hmm. uh, so and I cannot and I always look forward and I do look forward to seeing what that uh, is in the future for science scientists and science researchers definitely agree with you and you know something I was talking about with my brother the other day about like he just research and science never stopping he was talking about time travel and I'm like that's impossible and he's saying you never know where science will bring us. You never know what other planets will be discovering. I saw this one YouTube video about like how small the Earth is compared to the whole universe. And for me, like that's what the amazing part about science. It's all logical, it's all analytical. And like there's just no stopping to what you can discover and find. Um, so do you, what's your socials in case any of our listeners, our viewers want to keep up with you, follow you? <laughs> okay yeah so of course so i do have instagram gram um it's at k-e-l-l-w-o-0548 um, i'm sure you're gonna I'm, is it gonna be linked in the description yeah definitely yeah yeah mm-hmm. so you can um you so you can follow me on instagram and um i don't i don't have twitter or like and i don't use facebook but instagram would probably be the best place to reach um reach me i'm always um reading my DMs and I recently gave a talk as well at the Intrepid Air and Space Museum a couple of weeks ago. And I've also um, have gotten messages um, asking me more questions about my science background through Instagram. So I, definitely Instagram would be the best place to reach me. Awesome. And I love doing that. I love making a whole network of people. I know people will be inspired by your story and hopefully they'll resonate with you and the path that you've gone. Well, thank you so much for tuning in today, everyone. Thank you so much for being on our show, Kelly. Make sure to tune in every Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern and make sure to follow us on our socials at TC Show 21. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you.